I understand that things are forward moving. So not only do I recommend television proposals, but also an integrated plan where it's incorporating TV and digital. So you want to make sure your message everywhere. Your messaging is on TV. Your messaging is on mobile, desktop. Your messaging is on streaming because you want to reach people where they are. This principle of success is called the Mastermind Principle. The, 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 the Mastermind Your Life Podcast. Podcast. If you're wanting to realize your ideas, goals, and dreams, and on the journey of masterminding your life, it's time for the podcast made just for you. This is the Mastermind Your Life Podcast. With Tolu Owoyemi. Owoyemi. Hey, 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 what's going on, my masterminders? Welcome to another episode of Mastermind Your Life. We got Kanisha Sierra Turner in the house, powerhouse marketing and sales by day. And she's also the CEO of Executive Rain, a pageant leadership development and talent management company based in North Carolina that has trained hundreds of international pageant winners from zero to 30. We got a rock star in our house. Kanisha, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. How are you guys? Oh, we we good. We good. You know, keeping it pushing. Um, excited. Another day above the ground. So that's a big blessing. Um, so thank you again for taking the time out of your day to be here. You know, um, you've been speaking since the age of two. Like you, you, you it's kind of interesting to read um, you know, your accomplishments because uh you really love helping people it seems to you know develop their leadership skills and to put themselves in positions that challenge them but ultimately lead to growth okay so um talk about the upbringing was there was mom in pageant was she a uh, entrepreneur like how did that love for um pageants and you know entrepreneurship kind of develop Gotcha. So I've been a pageant girl since the age of two. And funny thing, my mother was not in pageant whatsoever. Okay. <laughs> she saw my love for the stage and how I love to entertain and I love speaking. You know, I got my start in church where we had Easter parts and Christmas parts. And I used to always be the kid to say, I want a part and I want the longest part you have and I'm going to memorize it and I'm going to go and give the congregation a show. And so my mom is like, this kid, you know, she is larger than life. I have to do something to channel that energy. And wow. so pageants, that's how they came about. She said, I'm going to put her on stage. And from that point forward, she and my dad have supported me in every endeavor. So I competed from the time of two years old up until 17. Wow. But after 17, I started coaching and judging. So I've been involved in pageantry one way or another my entire life, may as well say. I think the thing that, you know, the listeners uh, would find interesting is that there's some really like prolific shows and they take these like young kids and it's like high intensive, like yes. pressurized situations. So, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just, when I hear that, it, it grinds my gears because those shows, I'm thinking you are referring to toddlers and tiaras and those type of shows that shows little bratty kids and they are disrespectful. You know, that is not a full depiction of pageantry whatsoever. Now, do you have some kids who behave that way? Absolutely. But none of the kids I work with 
and I was not that. You know, my kids are very respectful and the type of pageants, because there are different types of pageants. So the mm-hmm. pageants that my babies do are more so the scholarship pageants. So they are interviewing. They have to interview with a panel of judges. They're speaking on stage. They're modeling. So all of those pieces determine the winner as opposed to just blitz and glamour and getting on stage and shaking your booty. You know, these scholarship pageants are reputable pageants and are preparing these children for the real world in corporate America. Got you. <laughs> now, and it's, uh, it's interesting because from your own observation, what does being involved in that world of pageantry, what, is, what does that do to these young females like how does it shape their psychology or like what are what are the benefits of somebody going through that um that i wouldn't say system but you know that experience right so the benefits are great you know these children as i said they are learning the art of interviewing can you imagine a four-year-old having to go in and speak with total strangers and carry on a conversation for five minutes can you imagine by the time they get 18 and it's time for them to interview in front of scholarship boards and by the time they are 25 and it's time for them to interview for that dream job they're going to blow it out of the water because they've been doing it since the time they were four years old so those public speaking skills you know those interviews viewing skills, the ability to carry on a conversation and talk about different things with complete strangers. Those lessons are just invaluable of all the things that they're learning, all the tools that they are adding to their tool belt. You know, these pageants, I'm a witness. I told you I competed from two to 17. I am proud to say I didn't have to pay for school. Nice on the undergraduate level nor the graduate level. I received full rise for both levels to God be the glory. And I have to attribute my love and my participation in pageantry for that because by the time it was time for me to write college essays and scholarship papers and I blew it out of the water because I've been doing it since the time I was little. Now that's um, super dope and those benefits are obviously, you know, like you said, you didn't, (laughs) full ride, you know. now, what's uh, what's I always like to you know flip things a little bit. What's a crazy like? What's the most like outlandish, craziest experience that till today you're like, oh my god, I cannot believe that actually happened during. The, and I know there's got to be some, but in the world of uh, pageantry, like while you know you're in it, it's my experience in general with the students in which I coach, or either or. Either or. Okay. Well, I will say with my babies, and you'll you'll hear me refer to my clients as my babies. That's a term of endearment. You know, they're truly my babies. So with me training from zero all the way up to 30, like I've got two-year-olds, five-year-olds, seven-year-olds. And so you can imagine when it comes down to children, you never know what they're going to do. <laughs> you, That's right. You know, and it's amazing because one of my little five-year-olds, like you never know what type of day it's going to be. You know, she sees me every week, but she'll still get on stage and she'll still do her own thing. You know, wow. so I would I would be looking from the audience and I go, what is she doing? <laughs> I didn't see 
that? That is not my routine. What in the world is she doing? But then I have to remember, again, these are babies. These are children. So you never know. But I mean, it's it's tears. You know, it is little three-nagers that I'm dealing with, you know, with the the attitudes and the mood swings. But I still wouldn't trade it for the world. So it's, it's craziness every day to answer your question directly. But it's in those moments that I go, what in God's name? <laughs> The parents would literally look at me and see my face and my jaw drop like, what is she doing? (laughs) Oh, my God. But it's (laughs) it's awesome. It it makes for for the journey. It really does. Awesome. And you're a marketing and sales powerhouse by day. So, yes, sir. Tell us a little bit more about that. So I have been in marketing and sales for the past almost six years. So in February, it will be six years. So I started with Fox Television coming out of undergraduate and then I'm sorry, coming out of graduate because I went straight from undergraduate to graduate and from graduate, I started my career. So I started with Fox 8 WGHP and then, which is now as well, I am currently still with NBC. So I'm with another network, but still as a marketing executive and I enjoy it. You know, I am meeting with business owners every day and presenting with stakeholders, you know, making sure that their company is positioned in the best light when we air them on television, television, you know, I am scripting commercials. I'm also putting together their marketing plan. I'm looking at analytics to make sure that whatever program we choose to run them in is going to get the most eyeballs for their target audience. So I'm on the of all facets of marketing for that particular business. And I have tons and tons of business owners who I work with from the largest of businesses. If I call several names, you go, whoa, you work with them? Absolutely. You know, to the smallest, you know, um, family owned businesses. So I truly enjoy it. It combines my love of communication and marketing analytics with also my creativity. It's awesome. I love being able to realize that. Uh, question um it's interesting i run a digital marketing agency so you know so yes you understand (laughs) yep yep work with um, a lot of companies and entrepreneurs but one thing that i think is interesting is the dichotomy between uh tv versus the internet what what are the advantages of you know these businesses and corporations or organizations using tv you know, to air their commercial, their brand. Absolutely. So understand, so I work for a local television station where we have news. So understand news is ever changing. And I I actually love the question that you asked because this is an objective that I am constantly having conversations Mm -hmm. with people. You know, I understand that things are forward moving. You know, streaming is a big part now, which is like Netflix, Hulu. Yep. And also, of course, digital, you know, so making sure that the plans are integrated. So not only do I recommend television proposals, but also an integrated plan where it's incorporating TV and digital because we're mm. in the world, you know, in the morning while you're getting up and you're ready for the day, you may have your TV on your local because you want to see what the weather's going to be. You want to hear the latest news. You may not be sitting in front of it in your chair watching it, but it's on in the background and you can hear it and you hear those commercials. Then as your day progresses, while you're at work, you're on your desktop and you're on your mobile device, you know? So again, you want to continue to engage with that consumer. So you want to make sure your message 
everywhere. Your messaging is on TV. Your messaging is on mobile, desktop. Your messaging is on streaming because you want to reach people where they are. And people are on multi-screens. No longer is it a one-screen world. That's right. No longer is it a one-screen world. Absolutely. The more touch points you're able to establish with a potential customer or individual, the more you're able to help, you know, inform them of your brand or incentivize them or, you know, make them aware of your offer. Absolutely. All right. This is dope. So speaking and motivational speaking, uh, and it just seems like you got a goodie bag full of skills and talents. <laughs> um, talk to us about that aspect because i think they said the number one fear of the masses is public speaking how and i assume that you know from pageantry that kind of like help uh coach and develop that ability to speak in front of the masses but talk about motivational speaking because you know it's something that i think people are like oh another motivational speaker whatever man like it's gonna you know but at the same time it's an art to like really be able to speak to people in a way that empowers them like emotionally, logically. But talk to us about that experience of motivational speaking. So I like to say that's my gift. And, you know, there are a lot of classes out here, seminars, you know, you can attend to become a better motivational speaker or a better public speaker, you know, and I'm not saying that, you, you know, we should be ever, the world is ever changing. So we should always be learning. You know, there are always new skills we can acquire, regardless of if we think that we're masters at it, we can always acquire new skills. However, there are just some things that are innate and some things can't be taught. And I gave you that example of when I was two years old and I understood that power that I had, even as a kid, when I was doing just basic Easter parts or Christmas parts, you know, so those things were the bare bones, the foundations were already in me as I grew and I learned more, like I love to read and I love studying the greats and, you know, so those were tools that I acquired. And then at the same token, being in pageantry, so exercising that muscle, so the muscles there, but exercising that muscle, so continuously being on stages and speaking people. And then when I got to college, speaking at, at, at convocation and different conferences, you know, that muscle was being worked. So yes, it is an art to it and it's a passion to it as well. You know, you have to believe what you're saying and you also have to captivate the audience. If you don't captivate them within that first five minutes, you're done. So that's, that's right. art that you're talking about. And everybody can't do that. And for me, it's a quote. I believe in repetition. So it's a quote that I always open all of my orations with. And I've done that since the time I was in high school, all the way into my adulthood and my career life right today. You know, so I open with that thought provoking quote and that quote wakes people up and it goes, oh, wow, you know, I, I want to hear more. And so when you have them at that point, now it's time to continue to feed and pour into them because you have their attention. So it is an art, you know, some things, skills can be acquired, but at the same token, you have to have that innate natural ability. And I think that's what separate great speakers from just mediocre speakers. So uh, definitely you're going to have to give but, us this quote. Well, I, <laughs> <laughs> so the quote goes, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful, absolutely powerful beyond measure. 
we ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, or fabulous? Well, actually, who are we not to be? Quote Marianne Williamson. Oh, that's a good, that's a, mm, that's a powerful one right isn't there. Isn't it? Isn't it? It causes you to think because we've all been there. We've all questioned our greatness. We've all been afraid of our power one way or another, whether it was in school, whether it was in corporate America and having to perform and understanding that corporate doesn't necessarily look like us all the time. So making our way, you know, so we've all been approached with that and we have to go back and say, you know what, who am I not to be? I'm, I'm intelligent. I can do this. I can go in this room and I can sit at this table and I can make change. It's possible because of the power that's in me. Yeah, nah, that's, um, it's something that, you know, I feel like most human beings don't meditate upon that enough. Right. So it kind of like, because we're so busy with day to day and work, bills, and fit, all kinds of stuff that it passes through us and we might ponder upon it for a little bit. And it's like, oh, I gotta go pay these bills. I, I, I got. So it's something whereby I think once you do meditate on it, and you, you, you really give it a great amount of thought. It, it goes to show, like, yeah, most people we play way below our potential, Absolutely. way, way below our potential. Absolutely. Um, the other thing was that you said you did a lot of research on speakers and like figures throughout the history in order to prepare your orations and you know your speech who are some of the ones that you look up to or like who are some of the ones that you study well i think former president barack obama is an amazing orator if if you listen to him and even if you watch him his charisma he has a charisma that will woo a crowd be it male or female, black or white, he will woo a crowd because he knows how to, again, catch your attention. But at the same time, he humanizes it as, as well. If you listen to him, he never talks down. He's one of the most intelligent public figures we have to date. But in his speeches, he's never talking down. He's never demeaning. He he dissects things in a way that even the smallest a person or the most common person can understand and identify with. Mm. You know, that is charisma. That's a great speaker. And then we look at those like the likes of Steve Jobs. You know, he was a great speaker. And Warren Buffett was a great speaker. And just so many. Of course, Dr. Martin Luther King. He, he was a powerful speaker. You know, I mean, we are still repeating his speeches right today. I've been to the mountaintop and I have a dream. You know, those are powerful speeches that will forever be etched into the pages of our history books. So just listening to all of these orators, you know, I, I get bits and pieces from everyone. And then I craft it as my own. You know, I put my own spin on it and my own heart. That At the end of the day, that's what it is. You have to speak from the heart. And I'm not telling anyone anything that I haven't lived. Mm. That's powerful. International work. Uh, Ghana. Ghana. Uh, Ashanti. Mm. You know, jollof rice. You mm -hmm. know, goat, goat meat, lamb, stew. Oof, you know, food, food. Let me tell you, the food was incredible. While I, oh my goodness, the the jollof rice and the plantains. Oh my goodness, the fresh squeezed juice. I just, I loved it. And you're making me hungry all over again <laughs> thinking about it. But yes, but I tell you, aside from the food, the experience itself was an experience of a lifetime. 
You know, I say, I use the same analogy when I talk about the campus of A&T. When I first stepped foot on campus, I felt like I was home. I swear to you, when I stepped foot on the soil in Ghana, I felt a sense of, I've come back home. Mm. It was a peace that came over me that I just, it's indescribable. And I remember when we went to one of the slave castles in Elmina or Cape Coast, we went to the one in Cape Coast and they had, you know, they showed us where the female slaves were put and the male slaves. And then they showed us how the slaves were packed into the ship to be shipped off to, you know, different parts of the world and the Americas. And so the door, you know, it was a small, small door. So that showed you just how frail these African-Americans were or these Africans at that time were because they were starved and different things like that. And on top of that door, it had the door of no return. Because of course the thought was, you know, once we pack them onto this ship and we ship them off across the seas, they'll never find their way back home. So the way that the slave castle was set up, so they had that door on one side that had the plaque that read door of no return. And then when you go to the other side, as a visitor, they wanted you to come back through that door. And on top of that said the door of return. So we have returned home. I, mm. When I came back through that door and I thought, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, I can only imagine thousands of years ago, over four, actually 400. It, it hasn't been long. It's been 400, 500 years ago that slavery took place. And, you know, we were packed into the ship. So I could only imagine my ancestors, you know, the thought of I'm about to go to an unknown place. And here I am generations upon generations later, and I have found my way back home. It, it's just a beautiful thing. It is. Definitely. As we uh, begin to, you know, wrap up, what are the observations that you made while there in Ghana? You know, people and it's I remember when I was in high school and it was like, oh, African booty scratchers and this flies. These people are poor. And, you know, it's like there's a very bad lens through not all, but it kind of seems like the Western world kind of looks down or it's like, hey, these people are yes. undeveloped. What did you see there? And be any further, I tell you, uh, that was a total falsity of the way that we as Americans viewed Africa prior to going, of course, because all we see is starving babies, you know, these commercials of, you know, help the African children. And when we went to Accra, I saw, you know, wealth, these wealthy Africans who had maids and butlers in their homes. Like these people were well off. Now, when we went to the villages, of course, the villages, you know, they some of the villages didn't have running water. But isn't that just like America? We have our affluent neighborhoods, our affluent you know, places. And then we have our not so good places where, you know, the poverty level is kind of high. Africa's no different. But to, to de depict a country just solely by poverty is completely false. I did not see that when I went there. And especially in Accra. Accra was so beautiful to me. It reminded me of coming to America, to be honest. Mm. You know, it was beautiful. And I love to see it. I love to see our people with wealth and with status, 
you know, that was a powerful thing. And so when we came back and we had to, had to give a report, those are one of the, the main things that I focused on. You know, the wealth of these Africans, of these Ghanaians, you know, they were, it was a beautiful experience. It was beautiful. And I could not wait to debunk the myths that America had told us prior to going. Wow. For the listeners out there, what are, is there anything that you want to get off your chest? Is there any words? <laughs> that you want that you have for the listeners well of course i want you all to purchase the book and we hadn't you know mentioned the book on on the podcast so far but i really want everyone to go and pick up a copy because you're going to read these stories of all of these amazing successful alums who graduated from NCANT and their individual stories. You know, I, I wasn't the only one who studied abroad. We had people to go to New Zealand, New Zealand, I'm sorry, and several other places. So you'll read these stories and you'll see that it's possible. No matter where you come from, no matter what your family atmosphere looked like, you are in control of your own destiny. And you'll read tons and tons of stories of people who took control of their life and their purpose. And they went to an institution that fostered who they were, who taught them about the power that's within them. So I encourage you all to please pick up a copy of this book. Also understand that the proceeds go back to NCANT. So we're giving back to our institution. And then always understand the power that's within you. If I can leave you with anything, I always tell people, you want to do as much as you can while you're here. Impact mm. many people as possible. Display as many talents as you can so that when your time is done on this earth, you can say, okay, God, I come to you empty because everything you gave me, I used it while I was on earth. Exactly. Like Paul said, I've poured my cup. I've poured my cup. Yes, sir. All right. Kanisha, thank you. We appreciate the time. We thank appreciate you. you. Yeah. No. Thank you for who you are. You know, yeah. the, the radiance and excellence that you display and, you know, how you impact and empower uh seeds of generational impact you know within these you know everybody that you come across so yes. we, we we thank you again and blessings to you and your platform and for taking the time to interview all of the authors you know we are so grateful to have the opportunity thank you for understanding tonight as well you all we had some behind the scenes things tonight <laughs> on my part as you can see my background looks a little funky because i trained tonight so of course no I, I read from my 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 bio i'm a pageant coach and so i am still at the gym after training my babies and then after i finish with you all i'm going back to train three more so and then i still work today so i still have on my suit so. Ooh, superwoman <laughs> absolutely but to god be the glory he gives me the stamina and the grace to do what i do so i'm grateful Amen. Amen. All right, Queen. Take care. So much. Blessings to you. All right. All right, my masterminders. Until next time, make sure you cop the book. We're going to have all links. And if you have a kid or a daughter or maybe a family member and you guys are in North Carolina. Yes, sir. You already know who to tap into. So we're going to leave the link to that, too, as well. All right, my masterminders. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Mastermind Your Life podcast with Tolu Owoyemi. We hope you enjoy. Be sure to rate and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform and follow Tolu on Instagram at T-O-L-U dot O-W-O-Y-E-M-I. Keep mastering your life and we'll see you here next time.